welcome back to the School of Calisthenics. It's Tim and Jacko, and today we had a fantastic guest, which is one of um, one of the first ever uh, people I got involved coaching with when I first joined Tim's Paralympic sort of SNC coaching team. Yeah, Charlotte Henshaw joined us for a conversation on a podcast. We've got so much respect and time for Charlotte, so it was awesome just to spend an, an hour or so just chatting, catching up where she's at. Her career's progressed since we trained her when we finished in 2016. Um, and there's so much value in, in what she's been through and, and how it shaped her career, her as a person. Um, it's really inspiring to see what she's done and, and grit, pushed through some really difficult times in her career to end up becoming a world champion in Paracanoe and focus now on Tokyo 2020. So uh, you get a little bit of an insight uh, from Charlotte as what it was like to be trained by uh, the Tim and Jacko duo, as well as um, my question gets answered as to what was a young, fresh-faced Tim Stevenson sort of 10 years ago coaching, uh, what was that like? And so, I, I still like to think I'm pretty fresh-faced now. <laughs> well, yeah, you are. <laughs> but it gives you a little bit of uh, backstory um, to that, which I'm sure uh, a lot of you were asking um, or why you wanted to have us to have one of our former uh, athletes on the podcast to find out a little bit more about dishing. She doesn't necessarily dish the dirt, but uh, it'll be interesting for you to listen. So. so this is a playground session with Charlotte Henshaw. Enjoy. So this is an exciting podcast for us, a playground <laughs> session, because we've got Charlotte Henshaw here. I've known Charlotte since 2010, I think, yeah. when we started working together. Yeah. Charlotte was a swimmer. I was um, given the pleasure of an opportunity to start working with her as a strength and condition coach. And then when Dave came on board um, with our one athlete business five years ago, two thousand and fourteen, yeah. Charlotte yeah. and Ollie, the trainer, we did probably the two first athletes rather than sort of Joe Blogs in the gym. <laughs> I actually, <laughs> Dave to start off with when he was kind of like transitioning out of rugby it was sort of like that weirdo that would just follow us around for the session, wasn't yeah. he? Like, well, I don't want to say that. Work experience. Yeah. Work. Weirdo slash plate boy. Um, but yeah, so we like we go back like 10, well no, eight years eight pretty years, much yeah. through a large portion of um, Charlotte's latter end of the career in swimming mm-hmm. and um, post Rio, which we'll get her to talk about in a bit, has now moved into from swimming into the world of canoeing. Mm-hmm. And having some amazing success. <laughs> so, Charlotte, just give us a quick sort of overview and introduction about yourself, swimming career, um, and anything else that sort of helps people to understand a bit about you. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, swimming was kind of the only sport that was really on offer to me as a, as a, as a kid. Um, I was born with some problems in, in my legs, so I had an amputation at 18 months old um, through the knee. So, what with prosthetic legs since I was about two. Um, and I was a really active kid, but obviously sort of late 80s, early 90s, there wasn't a great amount of activities on offer for a kid with a disability. So swimming was kind of the only one that I enjoyed and I was sort of shown a path into. Um, and swimming was kind of my life for the whole of my childhood and going through into my teenage years. And it was kind of during the, the Sydney Paralympics that I kind of got to know about what the Paralympics were and what what sort of path I could take in swimming so um from then it kind of moved from a hobby to being something that I wanted to pursue more seriously how old were you you then um I was for the Sydney games I was 13 so it had been a hobby and then I kind of understood what the Paralympics were and I thought oh maybe that's something I could could try and pursue and as soon as I found out about it I wanted to be a Paralympian somehow Um, and so that's when I kind of really started to find things out about the world-class pathway 
programs and yeah. things like that. Um, but I, I wanted to do everything as a teenager. I, I wanted to be good at school. I wanted to do sport, and I also wanted a social life. And <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. I wanted to party. <laughs> yeah, and so I, I think I probably had a little bit of a later path into elite yeah. sport. Than, it's pretty difficult to do those three things. Yeah, I mean, you can't yeah. really that easily. And um, I wanted to try and do everything. So I think it wasn't until I was about 17, I, then I got sort of onto the world-class potential pathway. Yeah. And then it became, you know, this is a real opportunity for me here. Yeah. Went away to university and studied and trained at the same time and then got the call up for the Paralympics in Beijing in 2008. So I was 21. So it's Whereas you're looking at athletes now, it's quite old yeah. to make your first sort of international yeah. debut. Um, so had you not done Europeans or Worlds or anything? I'd done a that? little, um, when I was on the potential programme, I was about 18, I think. I'd done a, like an open meet in Denmark and got my cap. And, um, but then, yeah, like my first big international was Paralympic Games, which was quite a, you know, it's quite a shock. And what did you swim um, so I was a hundred breaststroker, um, that was my main event, much to my disgust because I hated breaststroke as I was growing <laughs> up. So, but someone said to me when I was about twelve, "Yo, you're, you're going to be a good breaststroke swimmer." And I thought, "Oh, will I?" And then it turns out they were right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I was a hundred breaststroker. So I went all the way to all the competitions for pretty much one event. I was a one-hit wonder for all my swimming career. Um, specialist. Yeah, That's what so I like we'll go specialist. Yeah. <laughs> um, and. Yeah, so from 2008 till I retired in 2016, I was at every major championships, apart from one when I was in hospital, um, but and a consistent medalist at all of those, um, until I decided to retire my hat and goggles in 2016 and take up a new sport, um, which has been my life since the beginning of 2017. I moved into the Power Canoe Squad and... Yeah, big Smashed learning curve. It. Yeah, but um, you know, I've sort of well, how long current is it world now? champ. Yeah, eighteen months in and world champion. Um, Had you ever been in a boat, as in like a a canoe or kayak? Have you ever been in one before? The only time I had was I think it was the beginning of the Rio season, so the end of twenty fifteen, and the performance center swimmers had come during pre-season training to Nottingham to do yeah. a bit of, you know, cross-training. Yeah. And they came to the sports water sports centre in Nottingham to just have a morning of canoeing. And because yeah. I was local, yeah. British women were like, do you want to come come yeah. down and have a go? So that was the only time that I had. And I won. And, um, <laughs> I really enjoyed it that morning, but obviously British canoeing had to be careful because I think yeah. they'd wanted to speak to me about coming to canoe for a while, but yeah. because I was always swimming and it was so close to the Paralympics. Yeah. They kind of kept quiet and yeah. sort of kept me on their radar. Sounds like a football transfer. Doesn't yeah, it? <laughs> and so you have to do, but you have to be careful about that. Yeah. But they kept me on their radar, and then as soon as kind of they heard that I was retiring, yeah, um, on the market, I got in touch with them, and <laughs> yeah, that 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 was that. But just backtrack one, like you went to you went to university in Scotland, Stirling, yeah. And what did you study? Psychology and sports science. Psychology, just because yeah. we might come up like we talk a lot about redefining your impossible mm -hmm. and the sort of. Yes, the physical side of training, yeah. but the mental side of training, which I know is something that, we, that we've worked yeah. with before mm -hmm. and it'd be interesting to, yeah. to maybe delve into that a little bit later mm -hmm. on. Just to, And the fact that you've got that degree like adds another like yeah. layer to that, yeah. I think. Yeah, um, definitely. And then, I just want one quick question. Yeah. You, know, you talked about when you were younger, you just wanted to do everything and you just 
Yeah. So swimming was the only sport that was really available for you. Did you love swimming from the start? Did you learn to love swimming? Or was it just a love for doing something physical that sort of got you on that journey? Um, I think a bit of both. Um, I was because is it fair to say that you didn't love swimming by the time no, no, no. by the time I finished I'd lost the love for it which I think was part of the reason why it was sensible to to step away from it because I I didn't want to get to the point where I resented it and yeah, look yeah. back at my career with anything but fond memories and I was starting to get to that point and I didn't want that well particularly when you're like you said a specialist when you only do one stroke yeah. Not necessarily like all of you, but, but your training is going to be predominantly based around that. Yeah. There's yeah, not you... a lot of variability in no. training. I mean, yeah, doing the same thing for such a long time. Mm. And you had a fight as well. Yeah. There's a few athletes that I know yeah. who had to scrap as easy. hard as Charlotte did yeah. to get to where she got to. We'll, we'll come on to that in a minute. Yeah. But so, yeah, it was something that you sort of enjoyed from a young age yeah. and, and you found you had a passion for it as you started to actually go, do you know what, I'm quite good at this. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I spoke to my mum and my dad about it because obviously I don't, swimming had been all I could remember and I, I couldn't really remember when I'd first started to go. I, I knew that I was about four when I went to lessons and things, but I'd always apparently been a really water baby kind of kid. I loved the water and my mum used to take me when I was, tiny to go to the pool um so I always remember just loving being in the water and obviously it's a life skill to be able to swim so my mum wanted me to be able to swim um but I think as well it was a bit of a freedom thing because I didn't have to wear my prosthetics in the in the pool I could kind of just get in there and there was nothing kind of holding me back or that I had to try and maneuver around to try and do anything you know I was free of my legs and I could just play about in the water and then I was taught to swim in with able-bodied kids and I never got any special treatment so I had to learn how to swim as if I got a leg kick Mm. um so and then I went through the club system as any child in swimming does I went you know from swimming lessons to once a week twice a week three times a week and then suddenly everything else was being replaced by a swimming session so it was a really gradual thing um but yeah it was very much a hobby until I think I did my first competition when I was about nine or ten yeah and then I was in it then and then it's if you love it it's very difficult to get out yeah, it's just for the takeover. <laughs> I, just, I yeah. just compare it to like so at 9 or 10 I was playing rugby at 9 or 10 yeah. but it was literally because I liked getting muddy yeah. like, <laughs> and there was and there was games at the weekend so, but yeah. it wasn't just the, some sports are just different like yeah. I know some people that are involved in tennis where they're like they're mm. always playing they've got like a at the age of 7 they've got like a professional like yeah uh, before school, left school, yeah. and then swimming is one of those sports where it's full on. Whereas, like, well, the morning training rugby is starts <laughs> probably when you're about ten now. Yeah. So you're getting up to train at six in the morning when you're still at primary school, and yes. you do see the young ones coming in, and then they come in, in the pajamas, <laughs> then they go out in the swimming, like in the school uniform, eating cereal out of a Tupperware box and it that's the that's kind of like, yeah. life that you start to sign up for at a very young age yeah. so you want to brutal sport I think it's yeah. gymnastics yeah. and swimming I think are probably the two where oh, yeah. the training volume ramps up very quickly mm. if you're showing some potential yeah. Yeah. Um, and the ratio of training to racing time is yeah mammoth you yeah. know like I was training 40k a week for a one minute 35 race yeah. a few times a year like yeah. It, it's yeah. it's huge and I, I was talking to one I can't remember who it was now one of the other the Paris ones before and touching on what you'd said there that and it's something that we just can't have an appreciation of that mm. 
in the but I get it like in the pool where you don't have to wear your prosthetics like that sort of whatever yeah. that feeling sort of is like yeah. and although that I guess you said it was almost like the only sort of option on the table mm-hmm. but that it's I think it's really uh, cool about Blade Runner I say it's really mm-hmm. cool that like that's yeah that was their like almost sport giving us that and I guess yeah, like absolutely. people have that in all sorts of different ways where sport or exercise or something gives them that even if it's just a mental break from like yeah. struggles they've got in going yeah. on or whatever that might be it's mm-hmm. the sort of power of sport I guess isn't it well it's really interesting you say that because when I was at university I did my dissertation on something very similar to that I okay. did a study of a really small group of um, disabled athletes but not quite at the elite level but um just sat with them and just talked through what their experience in sport had given them in terms of their self-esteem or an escape or whatever and the results of it were massive the positive the fact that that had allowed them a channel to kind of either improve on whatever symptoms they had when they were outside of the sporting arena or just in terms of like self-esteem confidence social skills like it was massive and I don't think I appreciated what it did for me as a kid mm. until I got that bit older because yeah. it, it did allow me something where um, I could go and meet other children. Not that I, I didn't really struggle with that. but yeah. And I think as well as I was growing up, it allowed kids to look at me and go, well, actually, she's, she's good at something. Like, I'd never had a problem with being bullied at school. Yeah. And I often wonder if it's because I had a, a, an external interest or a talent that they could kind of look at it objectively and go, yeah. well, yeah. she's achieving something. Yeah. And yeah. It becomes think, your identity, yeah. isn't it, in that sense? Which yeah. is why it's hard to step away from it. Then, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And you mentioned about, like, um, so when the when when me and... I remember, we'll go back a bit earlier, but just to sort of cut in where... I remember where me and Tim had started exploring some of this calisthenics mm-hmm. stuff, which was sort of after you'd been training with Tim for yeah. quite some time, where the idea of, like, a hand, handstand work will be beneficial for um, a swimmer for the, the the use of the hands the feel mm-hmm. the body alignment and all that and mm-hmm. and you being um <laughs> sort of just phenomenal at that because you'd, you'd said you'd just spent like a, a, a periods where you're just literally running around on your hands rather than anything else and no rich white said is sort of similar like just is that, give us a bit of what's that what did that look like when you was a kid and like how you got some new prosthetics ages ago? Have you are you rolling on the new ones? I'm or not. Still at on all. the old ones. Yeah, yeah, back on the old ones. Now. Back on the old ones. Um, yeah. But just what? Yeah, for for everyone listening and for us, like we have no idea. Like. Um, I think I don't really remember consciously sort of going. Oh, I'll just walk around on my hands. But <laughs> yeah. I think I, I do remember. I used to come home from school. And obviously I've been in my legs all day. Did you walk around your hands at school? Did you do handstands at school? Like just showing off? Or? Well, you know, like in the summer when you're allowed on the field. Yeah. And everyone's like, yeah, you can go on the field. If, and everyone used to do handstands. So, so kids, I know your, your school now doesn't have a, a field used to be a big area of grass. Um, yeah. Not AstroTurf yeah. where the houses are now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah playing exactly. area. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, when it was summer and we were allowed to go out on the grass and everyone was like, yeah, let's go and do handstands. And it's funny, like when I came to do your international handstand yeah. day thing um i put a post on my instagram and a girl that i went to primary school with commented on my post and she was like i still remember you being epic at handstand yeah. school at primary school so obviously i did do it quite a lot because yeah. she remembers that now and we're like 31 so it's obviously <laughs> stuck in her mind yeah. um but i do remember coming home from school and just i've been on my legs all day i used to sit like without them on at home and yeah. i remember sitting on this the carpet at home and 
if I was getting around, like sometimes I'd like walk on my stumps or I'd shuffle along or whatever. But then I just started kind of like wandering around on my hands and I don't know whether it was because I just thought it was fun or... Or just quit easier? Easier or, you know, just, I don't know, maybe I was just a bit weird yeah. as a kid. And but would that be like inverted or more like a bit of a... Like full on oh, full on handstand, handstand walk. walking. Yeah. Okay. And I think because obviously my, the levers aren't as long, I can get sort of up into that handstand position a lot easier when I don't have my legs on. And yeah, I just wander around. Like just, if I needed the loo, I'd go walk on my hands yeah, to the toilet. Yeah. And so then when I came to do that stuff with you guys, like it was something that I'd always kind of yeah. done. It was just then learning how to sort of make it a little bit more focused yeah. to kind of go into a sort of a training yeah. exercise rather than yeah. just... Because we always talk about those of us that are, what you say, 31, like 37? <laughs> yeah. And 36? Encroaching on the next one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's a lot of people that are new, even a lot older than us that... Uh, mm-hmm. And every day I get older, Tim. And um, <laughs> they we're learning to, to try and do a handstand because we mm-hmm. think it's an interesting way to train or yeah. some of those mental yeah. health benefits of like learning something yeah. new when we're older and that sort of stuff. That we always link that to sort of learning to walk on your feet for the first time, but mm. not necessarily you did it from that age, but because yeah. it just gives, it just shows that sort of, that learning process that oh, the yeah. longer we'd done it for. And presumably as a kid, you weren't doing, because yeah, we'll get questions like, so um, how long do I need to hold it for? And how many reps and sets of, of, of this handstand hold do I need to do? And obviously there are... And sort I don't of, know, I found out from Charlotte, how far did you lounge <laughs> the kitchen? Yeah, that's <laughs> like exactly. Right. So yeah, you yeah. were just literally, play, yeah. it wasn't even playing, play, well, partly playing, yeah. partly just like, Rather than putting my legs on, it's easier just to go over there on, yeah. my, on my hands. Mm. And yeah. so there's no... It wasn't three sets of ten. No, definitely not. <laughs> yeah. Um, not. The interesting thing for me was when we started... So we tried a number of different training strategies over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, and the real... I learned so much over that eight-year period of working with you because we, we went through lots of different things. And it was almost like... When we got when we boiled down to finding probably the best recipe that we had for you towards the last couple of years of, of your swimming career... A lot of it was based on low load, uh, not high volume. We weren't doing huge amounts of intensity in the gym. We weren't doing max strength pull-ups. But that was interesting because you naturally were probably the strongest female athlete I've ever trained. And you'd be like, well, okay, pull-ups, yeah, I don't know. We'll put them in the program for the first time. Haven't done them for a while. Mm-hmm. Prosthetics on, jump up on the bar, knock out seven or eight without yeah. really like... Yeah. But you weren't trained pull-ups when you were a kid. Mm-mm. But what you did do was build a huge amount of um, upper body capacity mm-hmm. from just being on your hands a lot more. And it's, it's, I think it's really interesting how it's kind of shaped your physical development as a person. And we, like Jacko says, we find now learning those things quite hard. But we're trying to do years' worth of development. You see people that have been really good at handstands like yourself gymnasts who started when they would have been yeah. a similar age of those kind of practicing those skills mm. um it does take time to build that robustness and that yeah. that quality and i think it's an encouragement for people of going okay you start in handstand journey late stick with it like it isn't something which comes yeah. quickly but you the, the harsh reality is that you've got to put some time yeah. on it yeah. to yeah. practice and you Absolutely. weren't practicing intentionally yeah. yeah but then we made you when we actually turned that sort of we looked at you and went okay what is charlotte's super strength like she's she's got great raw strength She's also got the ability to train in these positions like handstands, and most other athletes won't be able to do that. Yeah. And partly, I think our own journey of calisthenics is very much intertwined with we think this is working pretty well. Let's see how yeah. it works for Charlotte if we put it in, because it was something that you were so good at already. Let's yeah. try and ma- maximize that opportunity. What was it like for you when we started doing that? Because so, it was a real kind of shift of 
let's come in and pick up some dumbbells to go in. We yeah. almost, in the last, years, last couple of years, we hardly did any weight training. Yeah. And that true like, yeah. dumbbell barbell weight training. Yeah. Well, for me, it was... Because it was something that I think when you're a swimmer, certainly, and maybe it's changing now, but I think the swimming world's quite scared of the gym. And that's something that had kind of trickled down into me. So I was like, I enjoyed it, but I wasn't entirely sure how it was transferring across into the water. So when you sort of started putting that calisthenic stuff into the program, for me, it was it was awesome because I loved to do that sort of stuff <laughs> and I really enjoyed it. And I think mm. that was you know, repping up and down in the pool was was part of the training, but to come into the gym and to me it was like we were playing about, like was was huge, not not only in terms of the, the physical side of it, but mentally as well. I was doing a session that I enjoyed doing mm. and you could see the improvements week on week. Um you know, this I remember one of the things that uh, we put in sort of last couple of years I think it was was like the L sit up into a handstand. Yeah. And when I first started doing that, I had to be sort of raised off the floor yeah, on two yeah. plates. And by the end of it, I was doing it on a BOSU, on BOSU. like <laughs> yeah, from yeah. L sit to handstand on a BOSU. Yeah, not raised. And I think, and to see the progression of that for me was, was really exciting and it was fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I loved it. And, um, you know, it, it's, and I certainly think it made a massive difference, especially stuff like that with body position in the water, sort of specifically my glutes and stuff yeah, yeah. and my hips were completely dropped. Whereas yeah. if we could get that real straight body position when I was on my hands, yeah. I was very was easy easily able to transfer water, that into yeah. the water. And the progression things in, like dragonflags, weren't we, towards yeah. the end yeah. and like, yeah. that's sort of a lot of body weight movements which integrate in the shoulder and the hip together and yeah. seeing the progression is interesting because actually like in weight training there's a lot of people that get motivated by the mm -hmm. progression of oh I did 6 kilos on that last week and now I can do 7 yeah. and then eventually 8 but then and that, that progression is a, a number mm -hmm. rather than actually as you're saying like the progression because sometimes it's hard to see yeah. week by week because there isn't a number but then at some point it's this more gross whole movement like mm -hmm. I can do this thing now yeah. and like for a lot of us that's just cool because that's what we're trying to learn but for you it's I can do this thing now and and I can take that into the pool and that's going to make me yeah. a better athlete that's I just think that's a nice Cause we've, interesting we've, point of it we've talked a lot about like bomb proof shoulders and the, and the, yeah. the potential opportunities that calisthenics has to just really um just create more robustness and yeah. create more function, which means that you can do more with them. And, yeah. and it's fair to say that over the years, um, your kryptonite was your shoulders. Yeah. Like you could have the most innocuous little trip on your prosthetic in the kitchen and reach out and grab the kitchen table or whatever yeah. and, and to try and support yourself. And then that might lead us down a route of having to go through some rehabilitative work to try and get you yeah. back. And I think that it almost the calisthenics was almost the perfect recipe for you because it was something that you were good at, but it was building that stability, mm. robustness in the shoulders and ultimately probably laid the foundations for you to do some of your best swimming. I mean, you, you, yeah. your best performances were towards the end of, of yeah. your career. Well, you I, I had a five-year period where I didn't do a personal best time. And you were probably at that point wondering whether you would ever PB again. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I thought, well, maybe I've reached my peak. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. maybe that was it. And, you know, it was five years ago. And I'm, I was a, that was the thing. I was a consistent medalist, but it was never in a personal best time. It was never faster than I'd gone before, which... After that amount of time, I'm not saying the medals were meaningless, I don't mean that at all, but to, yeah. to come away with a medal that you've gone, well, actually, I couldn't have performed any better, 
I didn't have that for a mm. long, long time. And then when I did get it, it was 2015. And I retired at the end of 2016. So my best consistent performances were when we'd found that nice balance of what are we doing on land? What are we doing in the water? What am I doing mentally to kind of allow myself to perform? Um, yeah, we should give Glenn a shout out as well. Your yeah, coach. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> How many years did, did Glenn coach you? Um, so I started with 32. Glenn. <laughs> yeah, I started with Glenn at Nova when I was 12. And the only time he didn't coach me um, was when I was away at uni for four years. But I would still come back in yeah, yeah. summer and in Christmas and things like that. So he had coached me for um, 18 years by the time I retired, almost 18 years. So he, you know, found a way of getting the best out of me. And sometimes it didn't work. Sometimes we had to have those frank conversations, Mm. which aren't easy. Um, But I think towards the end, we found a nice kind of routine and kind of... um, understanding of one one another that allowed me to perform yeah, it was a well. ca- relationship it was yeah. a very chatty relationship let's go let's call yeah. him his official name the legend Glenn you're the legend Glenn Smith the legend Glenn yeah. Smith yeah, I want to yeah. pick up on something that cause it's a, cause segues quite nicely into what Jacko touched on before about the redefining possible yeah. because throughout your career you've been in some pretty dark places oh, yeah. there were some times when yeah. there's a number of times where I could have gone to be fair you know I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame Charlotte in the slightest if mm-hmm. she just sacked it off mm-hmm. and that would have been before the highlight kind of yeah. last 18 months, two years yeah. of your career, and you would never have had that opportunity. But the resilience that you showed in some really difficult situations, like that year you were competing, were prepping for, was it Worlds? And you ended up in hospital with a Europeans, leg infection. It Europeans, was Europeans, yeah. You know, almost a week away, I think, in great shape, yeah. I think, at that year. And, and Yeah, I was swimming. I, we'd gone away on a training camp. The July and the comp was in the August, so... Um, and we'd done this, this test set when we were out in Cyprus, and I, I swam sort of point three outside my PB and I was untapered and all that kind of stuff and I thought oh I'm in good shape here like moving forward into racing season and then I think it was just as a Commonwealth game started so I was I was at home watching and then I was in hospital and it was literally 10 days before we went out and um we moved the flight back because I was like yeah I can still come out and compete I'll be fine and then it got to the you know the delayed flight date and I was still in hospital mm. and that was probably like I I seem to have what I did when I was swimming. It was kind of a very much, it was up and down a lot, but it did teach me a lot about myself and allowed me to have a lot more open and honest relationships with the people that were training me. So I think, I don't know for you guys, but I feel like you understood me more and I understood you more through that because mm. not everything was plain sailing all the mm. time. And we kind of had to come into the gym and go, well, it's not going great at the moment. How do we just even try and get the best out of this session? Yeah. Whether it was like canning the actual physical and doing something like a mobility session yeah. or soft tissue or something like that to just make sure that that session at that time, whatever I was able to give or not give, mm. was the most benefit to me at that point. Um, whereas I don't think if you haven't got that good relationship with people, you can't yeah, you can't yeah. be that honest with people and. And say, look, I don't think this is going to be. Yeah, and that's one of the them. main principles. Actually, Tim had first taught me as a <laughs> as an S and C coach. It's got nothing to do with S and C, but it was more coaching, and it mm. was coach the per- coach the person in front of you. Yeah, right. And and you were certainly that at, at times that athlete rather than you know. There's other guy. There's other people you, you might be able to train. And just literally go. 
Like like Rich, he comes in, he's got his heavy deadlift day, and he's like, if you don't feel great, generally he's still like, he'll yeah. just go, yeah, but I want to smash it, and he'll. Like, yeah. There's some people that they just get they'll they'll do what's on the sheet and they'll do the numbers mm-hmm. and they don't need that like individualization mm-hmm. quite as much sometimes, um, and that was like a steep learning curve for me. It's like oh but on the program it says this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know I'm doing that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Oh cranky. <laughs> so what was it in some of because there's a number of different other things that sort of happened along the way and and, and what what was it in those times when you just been this for the first time in four or five years you've been as close to your best as you've ever been mm-hmm. pick up a, an infection off just catching your leg on um, the side of the pool yeah. which people, some people want to know when you've got an amputation they're really prone to sort of infection yeah. and skin breakdown yeah. it doesn't take a lot but you end up in mm-hmm. hospital for two I was in hospital two weeks two so weeks. I was out of the pool for almost two months off my legs yeah. for six weeks which I never am and it was you know it was massive it was a huge thing and at that point a whole year of training has gone into peaking for that one yeah. event trial was qualified peak for the event yeah. and then you're then staring down the barrel of another 12 months pretty mm-hmm. much to yeah. then go and do it again yeah. two years out from the games yeah. was there any point where you're like do you know what I'm, I'm done or and, and if there was you obviously got yourself to a point where you're like mm-hmm. there was something there of value mm-hmm. which was more important to you than going I've been swimming for however many years it was a couple of decades yeah. <laughs> whatever, yeah. whatever it felt like whatever. it's not going my way like, what, where, where was your head during that, that time I think Interestingly, though, that was the summer before the, the year that I had my best results. I, 2014, missed the Europeans and had a late start to training. I didn't get back in until, because normally it's swimming season, sort of pre-season, September, full training, October, and then race right through to August. And then sort of September is either off or light. Um, so I didn't start back probably full training till the end of October. So I was like a month behind everything. Um, and our world champs were a lot earlier in the 2015 season. So they were in July. So everything had been kind of bookended slightly closer together. Um, but I think the fact that I was hitting really good times before I was in hospital was what sort of allowed me to come back and go, well, okay, they quite easily could have sacked it off, but it was two years out from a Paralympic. So if you've done more than half the cycle... Yeah. Two years doesn't seem a long time yeah, to yeah. just sort of see it out, and I wanted to go to another games, and I knew I was swimming well, and I thought and you had well, unfinished business to do. Yeah, absolutely, and, and it, like. I kind of thought, well, I was swimming well. I probably would have hit a PB had I raced at that competition. So I thought, well, I just want to see where where that work has got me because I knew I wouldn't have lost it hugely, and so I came back in slightly short season. We changed quite a lot of stuff around. We mm we changed the approach to training in the water and in the gym. And then after waiting five years for a PB, I, I did three in three weeks yeah, in the summer and I was just park. banging them out. And <laughs> that, and I think that sort of really rough time when I was in hospital, I kind of had a lot of time to think about stuff and I didn't want that to be the end of my career. I didn't want it to be finished on a, well, she didn't race because she was yeah. in hospital. Yeah. Like I wanted to finish on my terms, which I'm lucky enough that I was able to do. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And what did you, what, I can't remember now, was Worlds the following year? Uh, so Worlds of 2015 and... Uh, Glasgow? Bro- yeah, Glasgow. Broke yeah. the European record, but got beaten by an Australian girl who broke the world record right. in that yeah, race. Yeah. But And that was what I was saying earlier, you know, like I, I came out of that race. Yeah, okay, I was disappointed with the silver, but it hand on my heart was the first time I'd ever come out of a race completely happy with the result because... Yeah. 
there was someone else better than me on the day, mm. and but I, I'd given everything. I'd raced faster than I'd ever raced before, and she broke the world record to beat me. So I came mm. out and I was like, you know what? I couldn't have given yeah. anything else, and that's a very strong place to be in. Um, and I think a lot of that is down to the work psychology-wise that we did leading yeah. into that competition because I remember you saying to me, like, the aim is to be happy and with where you are or just in general as yeah. you step out into the field of play. And if you can do that and know that you've left every stone unturned, like, you can't ask for any more. Yeah. And that was the first time I'd ever actually been able to to put that into practice yeah. and it p- produced what turns out to be the still the best performance of my career. Yeah. I so think, never mind to go faster than that. Yeah, and I think that what was almost <laughs> those times where it might not have been at the forefront of your mind now, it might be hard to think back to exactly what I was thinking about then or what we think about then, but mm. that when you're not PBing for five years, at the forefront of your mind is thinking, like, I might not ever PB again. Yeah. But I I probably didn't say it to you at the time, but like I feel, and, and it's easier to say in retrospect, that there obviously was a glimmer of hope. There was mm. a, because otherwise you would have stopped. Yeah. Mm. And so there was, it might have been, Deep, deep somewhere, deep, deep down. Deep down. <laughs> it was like that unfinished business, that, yeah. that whole thing of going, um, like PBing again at a major comp mm. and actually then being happy with the result. Mm. And we took a, 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 I don't know, some people might think it is an interesting approach to, for the for the number one thing that we were trying to do mentally was to be happy. Yeah. Um, but it was just then sort of reverse engineering how then we got to there and then yeah. um, I you know, you it's all the physical stuff that you you do in the yeah. you know you physically got to be able to PB but yeah, it, was, absolutely. it was just a but I think you know, I was physically able to PB way before, before that but I remember the, mm. the first time that you then did PB was like something was went before yeah it was the, at a training camp and yeah. something had gone wrong yeah. And I can't remember what you might remember. It was like yeah, I had, something I had wrong, and then had to suddenly jump in, and I'd like to just jump in and then just swim. And you didn't have any time yeah, no, to no. think about it, yeah. and that actually that helped unlock that almost in a way. It was in it was again in Cyprus the yeah. the next year, and I I have those heart palpitations, yes, and I had one just before I was supposed to race. So all and your preparations was trying, all mixed up, and frantically yeah. to get rid of it, like in just the ways that I've been told to like rubbing my neck. I was like <laughs> drinking a cold drink really quickly, and I I almost was like, well, this is. I'm not expecting anything from this. Oh, yeah. And I kind of took that expectation away. Yeah. And I did that because I, I was like, well, this has happened, so I'm not going to perform, yeah. which obviously isn't ideal. But then it kind of showed me that actually, if you take that pressure, that external yeah, yeah, pressure, yeah. You that were putting pressure expectation away, it sort of allows you to perform way... Actually, I probably could have performed long before that. It's yeah. just that I wasn't mentally able to al- yeah. allow that to sort of flourish yeah oh, that's a really good take a message for people because tim's talked about it this year where he hasn't set himself any goals like mm-hmm. at all to do with training because they you felt like they were putting pressure on you now i listened mm-hmm. to a denzel washington speech this morning that talks about <laughs> you have to set yourself goals like set yourself a goal for the day and it might just be something really small but that i but just that rather than going like is it goals or not got just that concept of like how many people out there in their lives and their training and whatever in their relation whatever it is like we just put pressure on ourselves yeah. that's actually all up there in the head and we need to release ourselves from that sometimes. Uh, yeah. So actually let us let us be happy but let's perform. Mm. Whatever that is, it doesn't have to be you don't have to be a 
I think for me it's almost rather like you're taking a bit of approach of look, looking retrospectively rather than saying I'm going to determine what success looks like mm-hmm. when actually there's a lot of things that come up that you've got no control over yeah. and that's where I think I've come from with my goals I, my goal for this year is to get better mm-hmm. I'll decide what that looks like mm-hmm. at the end of the year when I can actually see yeah. the context of what my life has been like yeah. I've talked a lot about Jack a lot about work and stuff and it's I can say I want to nail X, Y and Z but the reality is, I've only got some level of control over those things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I remember, interestingly f- for you, Charlotte, in 2015, I remember watching you walk out for that race. And I was like, she looks relaxed. <laughs> and you used to go out with a face like thunder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you could see that you were carrying the weight off. The yeah, she was doing the conga. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She did. She, all of a sudden, the demeanor was just different. And the mm-hmm. pressure was off. And I think that's another thing for people with, like just to take away from that and just the training. Of, like, and my, I feel like that. Like okay, yeah, there's some stuff I want to do. If I do it, okay, I, it, it, it almost, I've stopped by not having that fixed goal of I've got mm. to do this by then. I've yeah. taken some pressure off myself and if it happens this year or next year, I'm not trying to stay on like a, on a world-class program and, and mm-hmm. there's no one expecting You're trying to go on the gymnastic one, <laughs> Sideline, yeah. Um, no one's going to sort of, I'm not going to lose my job mm. if I don't perform. So the pressure is different, yeah. but yeah. I do think the underlying mechanisms is some important stuff yeah, there. Absolutely. If people are entrenched in a handstand journey, for example, it's just, yeah. and you know, I want to I do a handstand by the end of the year. Okay, if it's not happening, like, mm-hmm. the reality is, it's just a handstand. Yeah. And we, I think you and I guys have talked talk before, it's, it's just swimming. Yeah. It's just yeah. swimming. Yeah. Like, and if you can get to that level, I think it's, it's massively freeing. And you, you'll probably do your best work. Like artists and stuff, I'm sure you don't create the best piece of work when you're focusing on trying to do your yeah. best work. Yeah. Like, yeah. let it flow sometimes. And that was something really conscious when I, when I did move from swimming. I, I kind of, I was lucky enough to have a second opportunity to, to be involved in an elite sport programme. And I remember sitting down with the canoeing programme when I first got there and I was like, I won't do this if I'm not happy. I was like, because I wasn't, I'm not trying to to rectify anything from my swimming career that I I don't feel like I'm trying to prove a point. I want to do this because I want I love sport and I love competing and I just didn't feel like I got any more um scope to do that in swimming. I felt like I kind of reached my peak and I had this second opportunity, but I I'm not going to do it if I'm not enjoying it and I was very honest from the start and so for us in my career um in my yearly goal sorry um one of mine simple as it is is are you still enjoying it mm. in the i had my athlete review last week with the performance director with the head coach with my coach and we spoke about they were like oh, what so are you happy are you having are you enjoying being out in the boat are you enjoying being part of this program and like, you know you see the summer we've had yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's been a bit warm and, yeah it was uh, beautiful but um you know that's I think sometimes we underestimate that for for what it is. It's a huge part of what I do now. Is like, am I happy with what I'm doing? Yeah. yeah. So I've got one question. Let Dave, Dave jump on. I'm sure he's got another one. Um, yeah. So given everything that you've been through, unhappy times and now happy times, mm-hmm. if you found yourself in a situation with canoeing where you weren't happy, yeah. uh, what do you do about that? Well, I think, like I said, I, I learned a lot about myself from going through those rough times at swimming I learned how I deal with things I learned how best to approach them and use the support group around you support system what whoever that may be um and I think now it's more about just understanding how I work I understand myself a lot more now 
And so I can start to see the problem before it is a problem. Whereas I don't think I'd have been able to do that if I hadn't have been through the problem in the yeah. past. I think it's just a lot about self-discovery and being happy to to let other people know about that. Um, which sometimes as an athlete is, is a big thing mm. to kind of go, I'm struggling. Can you help me out? Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably the biggest take home that I've had to kind of put into place if I, if I need to again. Yeah. Yeah. Now we'd, um, a couple of other, we had some questions come in from, yes. from the gram. Um, <laughs> where, um, one was about why did you transition from swimming to Canova? I think we've clearly mm. covered that. Other question was around what was it like to be, um, be trained or in terms of the, the gym work, the S&C work, um, by Tim and myself. Oh, this could be awkward. Um, <laughs> and, and along those lines, I thought that I would throw my question there that was clearly, uh, like you've been working with Tim since, you said 2010, so clearly it was, it was boring until I joined the team. Just what, it got more exciting. What was, like, what was it like? Yeah, no, what was it like? Just to put, not necessarily, more, more for the people at home that are like, yeah, just what would that be? Oh, I... I, I <laughs> I feel like don't I have, you don't no. have to play. <laughs> no, say. no, it was. I loved it honestly, and I kind of wish that. I kind of wish I'd been in a sport that allowed a a little bit more freedom in terms of strength yeah. and conditioning. It was just two. You did. You trained Tuesday, Twice and Friday morning because in your gym. the lion's share of a swimmer's training, if you're not a pure sprint athlete, is in the water, yeah. and kind of that always takes precedence, and yeah. and whether it has to or not that's a whole other question yeah, yeah. but for me I had to be in the water yeah. eight times a week so to allow me to perform in the pool I could only realistically manage two gym sessions so yeah. I think for me I would have liked to have been able to explore that more because since moving to a sport where actually certainly in the winter it's predominantly gym based yeah, like yeah. we're in the gym a lot and we're doing yeah. that is the most important part of like, yeah. canoeing mm. right now is and I've discovered that actually I love it a lot more than I thought I did and I enjoyed it when yeah. I was swimming. So I, I, if there was anything that I wish when we were working together is that we could have explored a bit more. Yeah. I think because... the hard thing for swimming is that you're always tired. Yeah. Like, you always used to come in the gym and look at you and I'd be like, she's tired. Well, like, I, it's well, funny. Sort of, couldn't you have swam all day Monday and then <laughs> we do that gym? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. But that's the thing. And I think now I've come out of swimming, I, I, it's a different kind of tired. Like yeah. swimming, I always kind of equate it to like I felt like I got a slow puncture and just my energy was just constantly draining like you never got time to kind it's of hard. reboot and I it was just five lengths yesterday exactly and I, and I have a little break after each length and it's not even well, a 25 meter pull it's about 18 meters <laughs> whereas now I get to the point where I, obviously I'm tired but it's it's almost like I keep going keep going keep going I feel like someone's hit me around the head with a frying pan I'm I'm done and I'm fried yeah. but I get some good rest and the next day I feel, apart from a bit domsy, I feel all right. Yeah. Whereas swimming, it's just a constant drain. Yeah. Um, so you can never quite get to that energy level that you need to to explore yeah. anything else outside of swimming. Yeah. Um, which is tough. So I I think I met Tim in 2013. Yeah, 13, 14 probably. So you've known Tim longer. What was like a younger Mr. Steers Margaret? Like... What was Tim like when he was sort of fresh faced, two thousand ten? Like, how long had you been doing S and C when you first started with Charlotte? Uh, so I started tra- tra- training Charlotte in two thousand ten. I did my. I started two thousand eight. So like two You've years. Two years in, in, yeah. Like you yeah. must like you. You'd say you were probably different back then. Like oh yeah, and I hadn't done. I wasn't from a swimming background and hadn't trained a swimmer. 
yeah, mm. before. Maybe a little bit of like some age group stuff, but I hadn't trained an elite swimmer before, so I didn't know the sport, which was a as interesting. But I'd done a lot yeah. of different ones. Yeah. But um, yeah, can you remember the early days? No, not not really. I, although I, d- I think the reason that we kind of heard about Tim was the fact that you'd done work with Rich. Yeah. yeah. And for me, it was str- it, we were kind of struggling to find an SNC coach that was able to adapt yeah. exercises in the gym for my disability. And because Tim had done work with Rich, who's almost identical, slight yeah. differences, but. The principle is pretty much the same. (laughs) Did you hear that, Rich? (laughs) Um, Much worse banter. (laughs) All the banter. Yeah. Higher skin folds. I think, um, yeah, I I think that was, you know, the initial kind of why we sort of got to know about Tim. Yeah. Um, And for me, it was just, it it gave me confidence that actually what I was about to be doing was going to be working. It was specific. And whereas before, it was very generic. And I think having that specific program and having someone that's willing to think outside the box and like I remember quite often both of you would kind of you'd go through the exercise as if you didn't have the bottom part of your leg and as somebody who has watched S&C coaches go well why can't you do that like I could do it fine I'm like but you have got the bottom of your leg it's very different so you kind of put yourselves in that position to to kind of think of something okay maybe it's not a conventional way of doing it yeah but it's getting the same results so why can't we try this and I think that was a real confidence boost for me that I'd had two people that were willing to try something different and um understand where I was coming from from the physical side of it Mm. which was a massive boost going forward I look back at it at the eight years and um, like it was, I'm, I feel like I made a lot of mistakes along the way in terms of it was a really different, different, uh, difficult environment at times in terms of um, the total demand of what swimming takes out of you, mm-hmm. having time for the gym, working out and understanding how you as an individual responded mm-hmm. because it was very different to a lot of other people. And I almost feel like we kind of snaked around quite a bit and all of a sudden we probably... I think I probably gave you the best of what I had and with Jacko's support at the right time for you as an athlete. Mm, yeah. I would have loved to have said that I'd got it right earlier. Yeah. But like you said, like I look back at those times and, and this self-reflective practice with coaching and I feel the responsibility from an athlete's perspective is like, I need to give you my best because you've only got this one shot. Mm. I, you don't get it like I do, just to train another athlete later yeah. down the line and, and give all of them yeah. all the best But stuff. you only know what you know at the time, don't yeah. you? Yeah. Um, I think that was the thing for me was that we were... As a team, we were really good at, at the beginning of the year going, what worked, what didn't. Yeah. And we were, so the, I remember one year we tried max strength work and go, right, max strength work, you can kind of go, that's, gonna, that's going to have a um, transfer into endurance because it's going to give us more, basically more capacity, you're going to take less relative effort. And we all talked like, yeah, yeah, let's give it a go. And actually you got slower mm-hmm. that year because you just got sluggish. And mm-hmm. where that would have been normal tradition, you go to an S&C textbook, that's how you prep for a competition. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, iron- the irony was that we, we, we nailed it down towards the end was um, one kilo, lots of times. Mm. One kilo, lots of times. <laughs> some calisthenics, hand balancing, and then we put you in a hole in the, with the battle ropes. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah. And, that was, and that was the <laughs> recipe. And it was actually pretty simple, but yeah, the complexity of getting there mm. over and the years. And that's why she went to clean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's Sunday's not doing that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> one kilo. Yeah, um, it's not like that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now it's very different. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, no, really interesting journey, and I'm like, I, I, I feel so privileged to be part of it because uh, people say, oh, what have you learned and stuff, and from you, resilience is mm-hmm. is the number one thing that um, I can always take inspiration from that you did. And it's like when it gets tough, flipping, come back, fighting, mm-hmm. like over and over and over, um, and some sometimes you lost the fight, yeah, but overall, won the war. I would yeah. say in terms of leaving the sport happy with what you've done, I think mm-hmm. you, you can't ask for more than that when yeah. you're happy. Yeah. 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 Um, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Totally. Well, Surely. That was good, wasn't do you, it? Do you know? Do you know the? Do you know the drill? Do you know how the videos end? No. Oh, the no. Off. The school. The school. You don't watch them to the end. No, no. no one does. <laughs> We have you have to say class dismissed. Oh, do yeah. I? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you, you get, you get the, the, the privilege of, uh, of signing it off. So thank you, Charlotte, so much for coming oh, on to me. the podcast, for sharing. Well, thanks for just letting us train you in the first place. Got before deep this. for a bit, yeah, didn't it? Did. 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 Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, I think it's good. We met, we met it halfway. It's fine. I've shared some things. Yeah. Um, I'm glad. To, I'm, 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 I'm really glad we got the chance to do it. And mm. uh, hopefully there was some take home, as well as just being really interesting to to, to, to speak about that whole sort of journey and, and our little parts within that, but your gross, you know, the bigger journey for you and, I think picking out some key points from that mm. for people to take away and try to implement at home as well yeah. is really valuable. Yeah. But um, yeah, so just a massive thank you from us. Oh no, thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. So until next time, class dismissed. We hope that you've enjoyed this week's playground session from the School of Calisthenics. Uh, I certainly did, Tim. I thought that was an absolute crackerjack. Um, so if you also did or even if you didn't like it but you just like us we'd massively appreciate and you like the podcast we'd massively appreciate um, a five star rating on uh, iTunes or whatever platform that you listen to the podcast on Um, it makes us feel good about ourselves but it also helps um, promote the podcast and make more people aware of it so they can enjoy it too so all the best this week with your training guys get out there and redefine your impossible we'll catch up soon until next week Class dismissed. <laughs>